But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. I'm Angela Lin, and I'm Jesse Lin, and welcome to. But where are you really from? Yes. Obviously, we are all still stuck in quarantine. Trump announced that the whole country is to shelter in place until the end of April now, at least. Um, So we have to try to stay sane. Let's talk about how we've been trying to stay socially connected with people in this totally uh, (laughs) in-your-house environment. Yeah, honestly... There have been like a lot of really cool things and different ways people are staying connected. I did a Zoom workout the other day with some of my friends, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. And so generally just basically using the tools we already have to try to keep as connected as we can without actually seeing each other in person. And I think people are taking that to really interesting extremes and like cool things like people doing like online raves have you done it or you just um you just heard of it the raves thing so i will plug is called club quarantine i have not done it yet but i really want to do it how does webcam raving work like do you actually share your video or is it just that they are like djing live and then you're dancing off camera like by yourself so i think with the zoom the people who are like the headliner DJ basically like can mute everybody and they just play their own mm-hmm. music, but you can see the people who want to be seen and they're just kind of like partying in their <laughs> own apartments. But some of the people are like dressed in nines. Like I'm following the stories. Like people are like super, super dressed up, just partying in their own homes. And um, it's their only chance to dress up. That's I true. You want to, you want to take yourself out somewhere nice. <laughs> I honestly think the most fun social like virtual thing i'm doing right now is when you me and karen do mario kart and we we do we do the mario kart online where jesse <laughs> totally smokes us because karen and i are like equally average at mario kart and jesse is like so far ahead of us that we never see his character in the game after we take off <laughs> uh but yeah we do that and then facetime each other so that we can hear each other like cursing at each other. yeah it's it's a lot of fun <laughs> it's cool that people are trying we're all trying right to stay connected to not feel so alone during this time i definitely talk to people more mm-hmm. especially via video than i would otherwise yeah. even though like I, I should have been doing this all along, <laughs> well, <it's, laughs> even without the quarantine. It's so funny now, though, because the quarantine is now, like, socially acceptable to just bid anyone and be like, hey, what's up, girl? Right. Like, how you doing? <laughs> but before, people were like, why are you calling me? Like, why aren't we meeting up in real life? That's like, true. I haven't seen you in forever. But now people are like, whatever. Like, yeah, just, I just text me. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, though. Yeah. It's good that people are looking out for each other and making the best of the situation right now. <laughs> Our main topic today is something that's pretty near and dear to us. It's definitely played a big role, I think, in both of our lives. So we're going to talk about mental health and the importance of therapy in our lives. Given the the background of our podcast and the way that we're trying to bring our perspective on each of these episodes, it would be helpful for us to first start with the influences that our Asian upbringing has had on the way that we look at mental health um, and how we like 
first started to think about it before having our own personal experiences with it. So let's talk about how, in general, talking about your mental health, talking about going to therapy is something that's totally taboo for Asians. Yes, it definitely is. It's 100% something that I never talked about to any of my family members when I was growing up. So much so that, honestly, I probably didn't even know what like a talk therapist or psychologist was until maybe middle school or high school when you started to actually study those topics. But like those particular fields of medicine were like not really a thing. Like it, it just didn't really exist for me and my my family either. How about you? Yeah, same. What's interesting is that my brother actually studied psychology as his major in college. Um, and what's interesting is that I feel like my parents were were chill with him having that major as like a from like an educational standpoint. But when we would have big serious issues within our family and my brother would bring up like we should probably see a therapist like as a family and start working through a lot of this stuff. That's when it all started coming out. Like, like there was so much rage, I feel like behind my parents when they were arguing with him about like, that is not something that we do. Like that is, that is shameful to ask for help. And like, it's not something that you should be sharing with the outside world because those are private matters and like not to be given out to some, some external person. That's, that's the perspective that they gave me early on. I have to totally agree with that for sure. Your personal thoughts and your feelings. I also echo what you, what you were experiencing as well, because with my family and my parents, we, never really discussed serious topics outside of my family and really the raw emotional topics. We only discussed like between, you know, myself, my mom and my dad. And it's funny that you, you brought that up because sometimes they can be very, very brutal. In fact, I remember a lot of the times when we would be having really just emotionally hurtful conversations for between me and my dad, he would say like, you, you shouldn't be upset. No one will ever be as honest with you than a family member will be. Hmm. And that kind of like brutal level of honesty, I feel like is kind of all of the pent up emotion like coming out to those few people who are only deemed acceptable to talk to about those, those particular emotions. Let's dig into why that is. My hypothesis is that it has a lot to do with the Chinese, but I think it is broader Asian uh, mentality of like saving face of, you know, you want to present a certain carefully curated sense of self to the outside world that's like respectable and reflects well on the family versus like internally you might be going through a lot of turmoil and like other bullshit and drama, but that's that's private and that's not to be shared outside because otherwise you'll be causing your family to suffer from the shame of like you showing those deep, dark secrets to the outside world. That's where I think it largely stems from. But what do you think? I agree with that in, in the sense that, and what we already talked about in our initial episode is there's a sense of collectivism versus individualism mm -hmm. and the feeling that 
your emotion doesn't really belong just to you. It belongs to all those people who are in your mm-hmm. collective and your family. And so I think sometimes our family members, especially those who immigrated to the U.S., tend to downplay their individual emotions and kind of read to how everyone else is feeling about the particular subject and then just kind of subjugate themselves to that particular emotion, even if it's not necessarily congruent to what they're feeling. Is there like a specific time that's coming to mind when you say that? I mean, I can definitely think of like many, many family situations, just like regarding kind of end of life care with my grandparents. Mm. Like, it's like one of those topics that you would imagine that would people would be very, very passionate about yeah. and very, very upset about too, because, you know, you're making decisions for somebody at the very, very end of their life. But a lot of the actual communication between my parents and my aunt and uncles was not necessarily emotional. Like it was very, very dry, mm-hmm. but as part of the family member, you can see like kind of behind the scenes the negotiations and the frustrations and the sadness. It's like everyone was going through something. Everyone was feeling something, but I think everyone was keeping it in t- for the sake of the family and for the sake of making the right decision on this, uh, on like the end of life care. You have to watch The Farewell. At, at least a third of the movie is like kind of related to to that topic that you're talking about. It is largely about the de- like joint decision of how to proceed with a very sick elderly family member. But they talk a lot about kind of like the acceptable range of emotion to be showing during that time to that like simultaneously shows that you care and that you're suffering, but not so much that you're bringing down everyone else and like kind of making yourself a burden in that situation by being so emotional. So I I really think I already told you many times, I really think you should watch that movie. Well, surprise, I did watch it this week. So I can comment on it. I thought it was a pretty good movie. And I definitely see a lot of what happened there playing out in my own family. And what's really great to see is, you know, a lot of the time you don't really see the emotional toll that people have, especially when they're trying to like hold it in and save Mm -hmm. face. But I thought one of the most ridiculous and also poignant moments of the movie was when Aquafina's uncle was up on the stage to give a speech for his son's wedding, which Mm -hmm. I'm still not sure if it's like legit or a sham, (laughs) but he just started like bawling kind of a little bit uncomfortable and it was so interesting because like the way that camera work was going you could tell was trying to like paint the picture whether or not he was being too emotional to be happy for the wedding yes or if he was like just the right amount of emotional it's i think it's a great scene because it really does show that keeping in individual emotions even even for the best of your family and for a greater collective has has a significant toll on on you personally. Yes, I agree. I also feel like beyond the concept of saving face, there is, in general, there isn't a set forum, like accepted forum for expressing emotion. So for example, like when my dad gets really angry about something or, or sad about something, his natural default is to just, he'll just kind of turn really silent. And 
because he doesn't know how to really express what he's feeling Mm -hmm. one. And I also think too, we talked about this a little bit uh, last time about like the expectations that the society has on like your role in it. Um, I think he sees his role as like the head of the family, the man of the family who's supposed to be protecting everyone. Um, The strongest person in the family, like should not be showing vulnerability and expressing that he's going through some shit. So instead he just chooses to shut it off. And of course kids growing up, you mirror what you're, your parents teach you is acceptable. So I feel like that was a big barrier, at least for me, I'm sure for you as well, of like overcoming what you thought was a normal way to process your emotions um, and Mm -hmm. finding your own path for for how to to process it in a healthy way. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely feel that because withdrawal, I feel like is one of those big things that I picked up from my parents and I feel like you're saying that as well, where you encounter a really emotionally frustrating situation and you have some kind of like extreme reaction to it, but then you immediately just kind of withdraw the emotions back into yourself and you stew on it. And I think this is a, you know, this is kind of a universal reaction to really emotional situations, but I think where we don't necessarily, and I think Asian Americans don't necessarily do as well as the processing of the emotions after you withdraw. So after you've like retained the emotions, because we've never talked about it with our parents, because we don't really have any resources, because mental health is not like a legitimized necessarily thing in the Asian American community, you, you don't really, you don't know how to process it, right? Like how do you go about dissecting the things that you're feeling and making them acceptable to you that that learning is never, you never receive that as you're growing up. And I think that that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've identified saving face as a big issue of not knowing how to properly express and, and process emotion as another big issue. Um, we talked about this a little bit in our own private conversations, but um, the other big piece from our perspective, right, is that being proactive about taking care of your mental health and going to therapy is something that is just more Western of a concept, right? Like it, I'm sure there are therapists in, in Asia and, and specifically, right. Jesse and I, our families are from Taiwan. I'm sure there are some Mm -hmm. therapists there, but like, it's just not the norm maybe because it did not stem from Eastern culture. Mm-hmm. So it's just not trusted. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like I definitely feel like there is some stigma and taboo about talking about it. And I think part of it is because it is a Western thing. It's not developed a science as some mm. of the older, let's say medical fields are, which could, which could be quite old. And I also feel like the experiences that our parents probably had with mental health and mental health providers is that they're here for your like absolutely crazy people, Mm -hmm. like people who are like off the rocker, like require really, really advanced kinds of care. So that's probably kind of the situation that they have in their mind when they think about a psychologist or a mental health provider, because that's probably what they saw when they were growing up, which is quite different from here where, 
you know, most people I feel like have gone to a therapist at some point in their lives or have had the need and they're more open about that need. Yeah, I do think it's definitely more common in the United States, but I also feel like it's evolved a lot over time. Like speaking just from a personal perspective, looking at like my network, right? Like if I look back at the last five to 10 years, I feel like that's when therapy has started breaking down the the walls and taboos, even within Western culture. Like I I think generally baseline Western cultures are more um, in favor of going to therapy than Eastern cultures by far. But I do also think it is like a relatively more recent thing that even Mm -hmm. here people are like, Oh, it's normal. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to therapy this week as if it's not a big deal. But something that I found super interesting is, uh, did you ever watch all the No Reservations uh, episodes back? No, unfortunately. Oh, I was, I was obsessed. It's on my list, my quarantine yes, list. Yes, do it. I mean, it's it's so fun. Basically, Anthony Bourdain, for, for those who don't know what No Reservations is, I'm sure everyone or many people do, but it's a show with the... Uh, late Anthony Bourdain, who was one of the most famous chefs and, and uh, TV personalities in the U.S. at the time. But he had a show where he basically every episode went to a different country or a different city around the world and um, started introducing the culture first through the, the food because that's where his background was. But he always got super deep because he was also a journalist um, by, by trade. So he got super deep in like how food then reflected on the values of that culture and all that. But he went to Buenos Aires one episode and he talked heavily that episode about mental health because in Argentina, it's actually like incredibly normal to go to a therapist. Like every person, no matter if you're rich or poor, um, everyone goes to a therapist as if it's like your dentist or your doctor. It's just like a normal part of your holistic, like, you know, health checklist. And so, yeah, 100% makes sense. Like, that's a whole other issue if we would like start going down the rabbit hole of like health insurance and access to care and all that bullshit. But um, I, I thought that was so fascinating and like was very envious of that kind of society where number one, access was available to everyone. But number two, it was so normalized that there was just zero taboo around it. I think it's going to take a long time for both U.S., other Western cultures and on the full extreme, the Eastern cultures to, to get to that point where it's like, no, you're not even blinking, you know, no one bats an eye at someone when they say they're going to therapy. If this week's episode was interesting to you, then please tune in to next week's when we talk about how we decided to overcome the taboo that our Asian upbringings have had around the topic of mental health and how we decided to proactively take care of our mental health through our personal experiences and the benefits that we've both seen from doing that. We are now in our fortune cookie closing section because it's always great to end on a sweet treat. Fortune cookie. What are we closing with today, Jesse? 
Well, we're going to be talking about what we're listening to this week. But before we tell you that, let us know what you are thinking about our personal topic today. Please subscribe to us on Spotify. That'll make sure that you automatically get pushed our latest episodes. And if you can like and follow us on Instagram. We're going to start posting some fun quotes and other content on there. So we'd love if you could follow us there. It's at Lynn Family Reunion. Awesome. So tell me, what have you been listening to? My Favorite Murder, which is not a small podcast, so probably a lot of people listening to this have heard of it, but I have always been super fascinated by, like, true crime and, like, serial killers and all that stuff, and these women are just so... Not a serial killer here. (laughs) Um, you're not? (laughs) (laughs) But no, these ladies are super fucking funny, and you never would think that comedy and murder should go together like when I first heard when someone first told me to listen to that podcast I was a little offended when they told me the title of it my favorite murder I was like who the fuck named this and then I I started listening to it and it's just so relatable because they also start on just like talking about their their normal lives so that you can get to know them as people and then every episode they basically take turns um telling one murder in detail um and it is you know murder and death is sad and like tragic that they're not making fun of that by any means but they are both so funny that the way they talk about the murders is hilarious so they'll be like and then this fucker went and had the gall to like do this so then you're just laughing along even though it's like a really sad situation so it fulfills two things that people love it's like this morbid curiosity with murder and like you know, tragic things that happen. And then also like a really humorous take on it. So I love that podcast and I've been catching up on their latest episodes because I've been letting them stack up. How about you? That sounds great. Well, I've been listening to My Neighbor's Screaming featuring my other neighbor (laughs) vacuuming very loudly all week long, which has been like number one on my (laughs) iTunes this week. But no, in all seriousness, um, last... Friday, I believe, Dua Lipa dropped her new album, and obviously all the gays are here for it, I'm here for it, I've been listening to it, like, non-stop, on repeat, like, all week long, it's just really fun, like, it's fun music to go out to, which makes it kind of sad, because I can't go out, but it's fun to, like, just listen to it at home, and, like, listen to it for workouts, listen to it, and just dance by yourself. Do you think it'll be featured in the next virtual rave? Do I think, maybe, probably, yeah. It's super gay. All the gays are on it. (laughs) I also wanted to plug Sam Sparrow came out with a new album maybe like one month ago. And I think it's amazing. His voice is like so amazing, like buttery, smooth, (laughs) like, like a chocolate bar but a voice like so delicious so I love it I like turn it on in the shower before I get in the shower and I'm like in the shower just like singing like extremely off key (laughs) yeah these two albums are keeping me alive right now that's so fun all right well I think that's all we had for you guys this week we are planning to release episodes weekly so remember to subscribe so that you get those new episodes automatically in your spotify or wherever you're listening to us so until next time bye, bye bitches. bitches